Welcome everyone, the first episode, the debut episode, Bloods of Old, I'm your host Joel Brown, and this is a podcast basically to celebrate everything Sydney Swans, everything South Melbourne, everything Red and White Dynamite basically, a bit of a side project that I put together given that uh, the Faithful didn't make the finals for 2020, but not all is lost, I feel even though we didn't make the finals, I think we finished about from the bottom. I feel that uh, there's definitely some encouraging signs moving forward into 2021. A bit low-key on the social media at the moment. I do have a Twitter page, at Bloods of Old, if you'd like to get behind that and support it. That's greatly appreciated. And I'll tell you what, we're kicking off the debut episode, Bloods of Old, with an absolute bang. So let's not waste any time. Let's get straight into it. The winner of the North Smith medal is Ryan O'Keefe. And joining me now is an absolute Sydney Swans legend and Hall of Famer, 287 games for 261 goals, dual premiership player, one of only four players to have played in both the 2005 and the 2012 premierships, a Norm Smith medalist, Bob Skilton medalist, All-Australian, Cleo Bachelor of the Year nominee back in 2005, and once dated Princess Mary of Denmark. It's a big hello and welcome to Ryan O'Keefe. How are you going? Very, very well. Now, uh, a few accolades there, which I've uh, just gone through. If you had to choose one, uh, which would be on the top of your list? No, premierships for sure. Yeah, definitely. I won't say any of the others. My wife might get in trouble. (laughs) I was going to say, so not the 30 Nights of uh, Noogie uh, Challenge back in 2014. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was not a bad achievement. Uh, that was post-kids, that was good. So you, you hit the uh, nail on the head there. Uh, I guess people play, well, players uh, play AFL to win premierships. You're lucky enough to win two of them. And I guess with 2012, uh, I guess one of the highest sort of individual uh, recognitions of having a great game, uh, the Norm Smith medal. How do you rate a, a team sort of performance over an individual performance when, when you both win a premiership in a Norm Smith? Because, I mean, we've seen lots of grand finals where, say, for example, the 05 grand final, Chris Judd won the Norm Smith in a losing effort to the Swans. I mean, so that was, I guess, the best of both worlds, winning both those medals, yeah? Yeah, and no, I just think it's um, it's probably just recognition of being able to do your role, do your job and perform at that higher level in such a big game where, you know, it really matters. It's it's a be all, be all and end all. Um, to achieve the team success, the team goal, but know that you contributed and your, yeah, your contribution was part of part of winning it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a mass, it's a massive honour, but um, I wouldn't want one without the other. Absolutely. And I guess growing up, um, who did you support? Um, I used to follow the Lions, actually, when they were Fitzroy. So my dad had a stint at the Lions and he also had a stint at the Doggies as well. My grandfather played at the Doggies. So, But I was never really a, um, never really like a passionate one-eyed supporter. I used to go to heaps of games. I used to go to heaps of the Doggies games at Witten Oval. I'd go to Fitzroy games. I, I had a mate who was a Collingwood supporter. Just, I just sort of just went to, went to games. But... I was too busy playing myself. I just rather I'd rather go and play and do all that sort of stuff. So and, and probably still am now after I've finished. I sort of just like watching the game. I'm not really, I'm not really a, a fan or a supported. Yeah, obviously, yeah, Swans have got a special part in my heart. But yeah, I just generally watch the game. I don't get too upset of who wins and loses. Um, it's actually good to not have an emotional attachment to to a team and, and just enjoy the game for what it is. Yeah, you, you, you bang on the money there because I remember all the times that the Swans would be in grand finals or the finals. You couldn't uh, enjoy, you know, the game itself and I guess other games happening in the finals. You're always worried if, you know, the Swans were going to win or lose. But um, I guess when your team is out of the finals, you can kind of sit back and actually enjoy uh, the football and the game. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and appreciate the game. I think sometimes as a supporter, especially the diehard one-eye supporters, they... They see the game through a very tinted lens, you know. Uh, it's not going all right, and yeah, that's why I enjoy just going going to the to the games, um, just to watch any team. Um, also, I do uh, some stuff for ABC Grandstand. I commentate games, which is good. Go, I go to heaps of games, and you just call it, you call the game for 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 what it is. Yes, especially being with the ABC, got to call it uh, down the middle. Can't uh, be biased uh, with them, that's for sure. But if we could go back in time, uh, the Sydney Swans, they pick you up uh, in the 1999 AFL draft. Can you remember what number you were picked with? Yeah, 56. 
Fifty six. Yeah. Yeah, um, round, round four. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, whatever round it was. I yeah, just remember just sitting at home and um yeah, they picked me and it was like, Oh cool, next day packed the bag and I was out of there. I was on the plane up to Sydney and yeah, I was just yeah, I was very lucky to go to to a great club but I didn't care where I went, I just wanted to go. I wasn't wasn't gonna be worried about leaving home or homesickness or anything like that. It was just just get me into wherever wherever it is and um, let me have a crack at it. Do you remember who were the number one, uh, one and two picks of that draft? Uh, Josh Fraser was number one. He went to Collingwood. Number two was Pavlich, I think, I think to Freo. Uh, Paul Hazelby, uh, number two. Paul Hazelby to yeah, Freo. Yeah, I think Pav was about number four. It's uh, it's it's interesting um, to sort of look back at drafts. I think uh, everyone sort of uh, bangs on about the, I think it's the 2000 or the 2000 draft with the likes of Hodgie and uh, Chris Judd. Do you, do, how do you assess uh, the draft? I mean, because there seems to be a lot of uh, expectation on the, the first few draft picks, but someone like yourself being picked at 56 uh, and obviously going on to have a dual premiership career, it's, it's, it's it a, not a gamble, but I guess it's just it's potential, isn't it, that the, you're being judged? Oh, there's always potential. You don't know. Number one pick could be a superstar or a follower. That's really hard. But I'd say that 99 draft, if you look through that 99 draft, I'd say that's probably one of the best drafts Mm. Yeah, you know, of all time, but it's not the one or two players. The number of players that had you know two hundred plus careers, premierships, all sort of best and first. Like you know, Josh Fraser, Paul Hazelby is a great player. You had Matthew Pavlich, um, you had Jonathan Brown, you had Paul Chapman, you had uh, Corey Enright, Cameron Ling from the Dogs. You had Bob Murphy, Gene uh, Syracuse. Sydney had myself. Ty Canelli was in that year. Go, you go through the if you go through that ninety nine draft, the amount of players that had long careers and successful careers is, is quite astonishing. It's not not just a handful of, of top shelf players. Absolutely, I guess you sort of said you didn't care where you you ended up, but you uh, you end up in the Harbour City. Uh, what's your first impressions of Sydney? Oh, I was great. The guys, just the guys, were really welcoming, really welcoming, um, friendly guys. Just yeah, made that transition really easy. Um, you know, teach, teach a young guy the ropes, the guys that have been there for a little while. So, yeah, it was good. Um, weather was heaps better than Melbourne, that's for sure. So that was, that was good. <laughs> I suppose coming from a, you know, Melbourne's a big city. Going from the city to city not too bad. Yeah, I think guys that maybe come from a small country town, go to a big, big smoke, find that adjustment different. But no, it was good. Now, Sydney, it's, I mean, NRL heartland. I mean, did you appreciate sort of uh, being out of the quote-unquote AFL Melbourne fishbowl and sort of going to, uh, I guess, a team where you could walk down the street and may potentially not be noticed? Yes, but I didn't know anything different. Like I said, I hadn't played at an AFL club in, in Melbourne or the other states, for example. Um, um, you know, you get Adelaide and Perth and it's probably just as bad. So I didn't know anything different. But yeah, it was good. It was just the ability just to you know do your job and and, and get on with it. And probably the, I find the difference, say the fans in New South Wales, say compared to Victoria, is up there they do know who you are, but they just say, oh hey, you know, good luck and oh, oh well done, and and that's it. Where you go to you know Adelaide or or Melbourne, and they're telling you how to play, what the game plan should be, who should be this, this, that. Yeah, you know, they're all experts. So they just. Up north, they just say, um, oh, yeah, well done, good luck, and and they're friendly about it. They don't tell you how to do your job. i tell you what, uh, they shack you up with uh, Bed Matthews and Leo Barry, you star. Uh, any noteworthy uh, living arrangements or them helping you out in the early stages? Like, was there a messy one, a clean one, or...? Oh, no, they that, that were great, yeah. I was, I was really fortunate to to um, yeah, lob in with a couple of really, really good guys. Country lads, country New South Wales. Uh, and they've been there for a while. That, no, those two are ultimately ultimate professionals. And I, I was really fortunate to, to be able to live with them and, and learn the ropes really, really quickly. So pretty, and yeah, to this day, we're, we're still really close mates. Now, according to uh, uh, research, uh, debut round 10, 2000. Kickoff wearing the uh, number 39. Uh, I believe it's against the Western Bulldogs. Uh, not the best game, though. Apparently a 58-point loss to those guys at the SCG. Do you have any memories of uh, making your debut for the Swans? Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, it was Mother's Day, actually. So, 
for that because family came up, mum and dad came up for that. But oh, it was just, it was just great to get get your first game in. It was a bit of a blur. I didn't know actually we lost by that much. <laughs> I knew we lost, but <laughs> but uh, all, all I remember is I get my first kick and it was on my opposite foot. Just got it and out of the half, out of the back line, kicked it, and then I think Chris Grant nailed me as I was kicking it. So. Oh, for real. <laughs> well, if you're going to get knocked over uh, with one of your first hits, I guess it's uh, good to be by a legend like Chris Grant. Yeah, that, that, that game's a, yeah, a bit of a blur, but yeah, exciting. Did Rocket Ede, uh, Rodney Ede, did he sort of um, say much to you, like advice-wise, um, I guess when you were selected? Or can you remember anything, sort of any words from any of the other players? No, not from Rocket. Rocket probably wasn't the, uh, the greatest coach I ever had, especially in development. But... Um, the senior guys, you know, like Paul Kelly and Andrew Dunkley and all the, you know, legends of the game in the club. Just, you know, just their support and they just be able to just go out there and, and play. You know, you deserve to be here. So they just give you that confidence to go out there and knew that you belonged. You sort of mentioned uh, uh, Rodney Eade there, not sort of one of the better coaches that you had. You had three uh, all up with the Swans. Uh, was he, like, uh, is it an old type of coaching style that Eade had that, Perhaps maybe didn't click with the younger guys such as yourself, or the, yeah, the I just don't coach. think his style was uh, just his his people management. That's what coaching is about: people management and relationships. Uh, just his style, I don't think clicked with the young people. If 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 you weren't the uh, superstar of the team, you, you wouldn't really get much attention, or he wouldn't talk to you mm. that great. So yeah, but. Each their own. It was just, it was just different, very different to the the, the other two I had in Rizzi and and John. Yeah. Um, probably different um, different ends of the spectrum in that case. Any uh, sprays from uh, Rocket? Oh, plenty, plenty. <laughs> you plenty. You hear some plenty, which I probably can't repeat really, but <laughs> some absolute absolute beauties. So I know there's been a few circling around on uh, you know social media and stuff like that. That that they're uh, they're harmless. Let me tell you that. Oh, I was going to say, because I know, uh, I think, uh, yeah, Fitzy, um, Ryan Fitzgerald, he's, he's, he copped a few from uh, Rocket back in the day. But I guess sort of in and out of the side for the first few couple of years and uh, tragedy uh, in 2002, um, you, you lost your brother in a car accident. Um, and I believe in a previous interview, you kind of were contemplating whether to continue with football or just give it up completely or go home. I mean, how close did you come to sort of walking away? Yeah, obviously, um, you sort of get to a crossroads when a situation like that happens. And yeah, the thought like, oh, I might just come back to Melbourne and not, not sort of worry about the footy side of it. But in, in, in saying that, I said, well, hang on a minute. Let's, you know, what would he want from me? What would he want to do? Uh, and yeah, it was probably one of those um, turning, you know, turning points in, your, in my life where you just go, all right, he would want, he want, he'd want me to be the best I can be. And, and, I'll try and, try and make him proud, I suppose, and then, you know, make sure I have no regrets and just give it everything I got. I got. So it was probably that, you know, when you go, well, is, it, is there a turning point in your career and life? I go, well, yeah, that, that is, that's it. And you don't want it to come from a tragedy, but generally, generally that's happened. Some sort of adversity that someone goes through, you know, one of those aha moments. So I suppose that's mine. Was there any sort of discussion uh, potentially being traded back down to Victoria so you could be closer to the family or not really? No, not at that point in time. Down the track there was. Down in 2008, there was a time where um, nearly come back to Melbourne. But in the end, it, it was that old, the old trade system where the two clubs had to agree on something and then nothing. Clubs never did. Everyone wants something. Wants mm. The better deal, so that that didn't happen, and and from then that's our free free agency came came to play in the league off the back of my case study. Um, so it's probably another thing I could you know players today can thank thank me for the free agency. Um, so seriously, that's that's what happened after that. They said, well, if I couldn't get if I couldn't move, then there's a, there's a flaw in the system. So free agency was born out of out of that from me, but. Yeah, it didn't happen and I stayed on and, yeah, the yeah, rest was history. Because I was going to bring that up a little bit later, yeah, 2008, sort of. Was it uh, a desire to go home, be closer to family or uh, wasn't, it, I guess, an internal struggle for yourself? It was just a, maybe there might be more opportunity back home? Yeah, just a, it was a few things. I probably felt like I needed a bit of a change, um, just something something different. 
there was a very yeah, it was a few, it was a variable of issues. It wasn't just the the oh, I've got to get home sort of thing, but um, yeah, just did I needed a bit of a change, needed something fresh up and. Anyway, it didn't happen, and then that's probably from then on I started playing more just in the mid, as a midfielder, become one of the, the comp midfielders. Um, I suppose that's what I needed from that half forward role or something, and that's all I needed. I got that change in a, a new position, really, and gave me a renewed enthusiasm. We've seen recently with Tom Papley, kind of he was requesting to go back home to the trade or that, but he's committed back with uh, the Swans and kind of mentioned that he kind of had to regain the trust of the playing group. Was it a similar situation for you in 2008? No, not really. Because before, before it was announced, I spoke to all my teammates um, about potentially moving and they were all really supportive. And, and then, um, yeah, once I come back, I... They knew I was professional. As soon as I come back, it, it's done. It was done. It's done. I was looking forward. I'm not looking in the rearview mirror. And I suppose if you get back, get back to work and perform and, and do your role, it is. And people got to look at it now. It's a business. You get, and contracts and money and looking after yourself and looking after your family. It's a it's a massive factor um, as a professional athlete, especially in the AFL. You, your window is very very small and limited. Um, and th- Trust me, clubs will get rid of you before if you're not available to them quicker than than anything. So, if there's opportunities and secure and security, well, I don't blame players for taking that. Um, if Papley was looking had a really good offer from somewhere else, what? Yeah, you got to look at it because if you look at any industry or any business, any executive, CEO, if they get someone tries to poach them and play for money, that's what it is. And look at all the sports around the world. I think I think AFL is probably the once it's getting there is probably the sport that's lagging in that acceptance of players moving and contracts and stuff like that. But mm. you can't blame them because it's a short window. Could get injured tomorrow, and that's it. You know, you could be in your mid twenties or early thirties, all of a sudden you're in the work industry and you're back on apprentice wages. Yeah, it's a business at the end of the day, isn't it? Oh, totally. It is totally, and then. I, I know supporters are very patriotic and, and that's great. And they're the essence and the lifeblood of, of any club and any organisation. But they've got to realise it's a job for the, for the athletes and it's a serious job, serious money. And as I said, clubs are looking at trying to get the best deal for themselves as much as, as, much as they can. So you can't blame players for doing the same. 2002, uh, interesting and tough year, not only for yourself, but the club. Uh, have Tony Lockett, he, he makes a short stink back with the club. Uh, I think it lasts about two or three games. Uh, Rodney Eade is sacked as coach. Club legends, uh, Wayne Swass, Paul Kelly, Andrew Dunkley, they retire. And uh, some guy called Paul Roos takes over as head coach. Um, is it fair to say that uh, 2002, at least the first half, was a pretty turbulent year at the Swans? Yeah, it was. And I, I, I really wasn't there for the first half. Uh, my brothers, I, I stayed in Melbourne for a fair bit. And I had a knee injury as well, coming, which I had from the previous final, um, like the year before. I wasn't really around much that first half of the year. And as I came back, I was more in rehab and tried to get back. And I probably didn't start playing until Ruzi took over. You could just see when Ruzi took over, just the release and relief from everyone around the club. Like, it was like everyone's walking on eggshells before that. And then once he took over, everyone relaxed. And then I think Rizzi had the last 10 games. I think we won nine of the 10 pretty much. And we are just on this roll because we just everyone was relaxed and everyone was just to play footy. Um, and that's Rizzi's strength was. He put confidence confidence into everyone. So. Well, I was going to say, I mean, how much would you credit Paul Ruse for shaping the Bloods culture of the early 2000s? Oh, instrumental, really. Yeah. Um, he he got rid of the people in the, that he thought were that didn't want to get on there or were going to sort of negatively affect what 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 we were um, what we wanted to achieve. We had a core group of younger guys. Um, probably been a young group, you know, group of twenty of us probably, or in that sort of good young age bracket, we all wanted to get something, we all got on board and we created something. In that 2003, that's what we started, the, the Bloods culture really, you know. Um, but we, he just empowered us and then from then on it just grew and just kept getting stronger and people people that came into the club bought into it and became became a really powerful thing that lasted a long time. 
I remember a previous interview, you kind of said if there was a player sort of interested in coming to the Swans, he would kind of bring it to the playing group first before any sort of, I guess, negotiations or things like that and a somewhat of an agreement with the playing uh, team. Um, was there any names, I guess, that were brought up that were uh, ninxed or not agreed to, I guess, come to Sydney? Yeah, all the time to the leadership group, just thinking, well, thinking of this player and would we think that fit and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a few players that names were, names were floated. I, probably, I don't really want to dig anyone in. But... <laughs> I was going to say, any any names that would surprise Swan supporters? <laughs> oh, there's probably one guy that went from Carlton to Brisbane. I'll let everyone think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm picking up what you're putting down, yep. Does a pretty popular radio show on uh, Victoria, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, 2005, 2006, obviously, uh, grand finals uh, against West Coast. One of the greatest rivalries, I think there was about... 10 or so games decided with less than a kick. Was, was West Coast one of your favourite teams to come up against? Uh, and I guess if not, as a player, who did you love playing against as a, uh, a team? Well, I just you knew those games were going to be tight and like physically, mentally, you know, exhausting games. Um, and a lot, yeah, a lot of them were finals. So yeah, you like playing because they're finals, but I know, sometimes you like an easy kill, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, I suppose that rivalry, you talk about rivalry in close games, that'd probably have to go down, you know, in all time, really. Like I said, there's about 10, I think the total margin was like under 20 points for the total yeah. of 10 games. It was something like ridiculous. So, and that's across two grand finals, you know, multiple finals, um, big games. So yeah, that, 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 was, that was always always a challenge over there in Sydney, so um, yeah, to be part of that was, was always good. Tough opponents, you know, a lot of good players played it. When I first started, you know, for, you know, was that early to that, you know, the, kang- the kangaroo, you know, with Glenn Archer and these these guys at Harden played, you know, the Brisbane Lions in that early, in the early noughties, guys, you know, playing with Simon Black and Voss and then, you know, they were a fantastic team. Um, great respect for those sort of guys. Any good sledges? I know the Brisbane guys were pretty good uh, for some sledges out in the field. Any good ones over the journey that I guess you could repeat? Oh, yeah, there's, there's plenty. Yeah, yeah, Vossi was good on the on the lip. He was always, <laughs> always, always good. So was Akka. He was always, he was, he was always mouthy. But um, Crouch used to get on top of him all the time anyway. So we used to, we used to get into Akka a bit. So I yeah, think, he uh, he absolutely hated Jared Crouch. That's a, that's no joke. He didn't like him, did he? Oh, just because Jared beat him all the time, I think. So that's why. <laughs> I think um, uh, I think Michael Voss said to Brett Voss, "I said, oh, my dad slept with your mum, or something like, just something stupid uh, like that." Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> pin down the toughest player. If you had to pin it down to one player, who was the toughest player that you played against or had to play on? Um, tough in terms of physically tough, or just hard to play against. Um, I guess however you want to measure it. Yeah, well, I play, I've had a few, you know, a few taggers that used to follow, you know, play me just, just, they just wouldn't play the ball and it was just a tough, just annoying game, but I wouldn't say they're great players. <laughs> no disrespect to them, but I just, their, their game was just negate you and you just, they were just horrible games because they just wouldn't play the ball and it was just, everywhere you went, they were hanging on to you and scrapping. So I hated, I hated playing against those sort of guys because um, it wasn't a challenge. It wasn't a mano v mano, let's see who's best, but, like probably uh, you know playing against Judd, he was just powerful and, and mm. clean. He, he he was really good. Um, you know, Matty Pavlich was a very good player. Um, he sort of had you know size, speed, sort of, sort of could do a bit of everything. Those two are pretty. They are pretty pretty good. Absolutely, and I guess sort of moving forward, um, sort of two thousand eight, there was the potential to move to Victoria, but uh, you, you end up sort of staying with the Swans, and I guess. You reward the faithful. Um, you had a sensational 2009. You get uh, best and fairest, uh, Bob Skilton uh, medal. And uh, not too long from there, this is when uh, John Longmire takes over from Paul Ruse. Uh, how would you describe that transition from Paul Ruse to Paul's? Oh, it was pretty smooth because John had been there f- since, well, day dot, Ruse took over. So, what do you have, nine years under him or something like that um, as assistant? So, John had been there the whole time. So, the transition wasn't was very, very smooth. Um, but, you know, the, the cultural aspect and the, the feeling around the club was the same. But probably what, what maybe just gave the team a bit of a spark at that time was John just sort of 
introduced a slightly different game plan. Um, probably, you know, probably had a more team attack, a team defence sort of mentality rather than that 1v1 and and probably a more cautious ball movement that Ruzi had. So it's sort of, um, you know, a renewed enthusiasm for the guys that had been there a long time. And we started getting in some players from from other clubs as well, you know, a few boys from Hawthorne and, and the like. So the feeling, like the overall cultural feeling was good, but probably just an enthusiasm and just the way we tactically and our game style changed a little bit. Dealing one-on-one with, say, like a Paul Ruse to a, to a John Long Mai, was there, uh, obviously, they, you said they have different sort of coaching philosophies or that, but I guess got along with um, Dong Wong Mai. Obviously, you said that you didn't sort of, not necessarily saw eye to eye with Rodney Ede, but he just had a different philosophy, but sort of everyone was on board for the most part. Yeah, 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 definitely. No, very, very, you know, both Paul and John were fantastic. Great coaches, very, really caring for their players, you know, smart operators, very good operators. And that was right through the club, like from Andrew Island, our head of footy, to um, even when Dean Moore took over there. You know, just everyone, everyone was aligned. Everyone was in that, on the same page, which, which made things really, really good. I mean, it's not too long until the Swans. You guys are at the uh, big stage again, uh, Hawthorne in 2012 uh, grand final. And uh, we were speaking earlier in the interview, that's where you scored yourself on Norm Smith uh, and became a dual uh uh, I guess premiership player with the one club with the Swans. I remember uh, watching that game, and I think for the whole week uh, it was basically Hawthorne. Everyone just thought that Hawthorne was going to absolutely just you know run away with it, and the Swans uh, ten points. And I think obviously remembered by I think there was the, the Adam Goods goal, but uh, the Nick Malchowski goal, um, and and a, a lot of people say that uh, Dan Henelbury was uh, robbed from Norm Smith. Uh, but I tell you what, I, uh, I recently watched the replay and um, I think they got it right with uh, you being, uh, uh, being named uh, Norm Smith as you're sort of near the hard ball gets and a lot of handballs out and sort of uh, helping out, um, obviously, just for the structures. So uh, I guess the I guess question is sort of being a dual premiership player, that's got to be uh, pretty uh, happy, especially, I guess, sort of, there was potential to be a dual premiership player from 05 to 06, but obviously just missing out by a point to West Coast. So did that sort of, I guess, was there, was there much left to accomplish after winning two premierships? Oh, when you win one, you want to win another one. Yeah. Uh, it's a great feeling. And I think being a dual premiership player can um, just solidifies, solidifies the career. Like, yeah, not disrespecting a premiership, but some players can and teams can fluke a premiership, you know, mm. be the one-off. Hey, look at the Bulldogs, for example. They, they, no, they win one. They win one out of the box in sixteen, and you haven't seen. You know, they haven't had a yelp since. Um, you know, That's still a sore just, point for me too, Ryan, as a Swan supporter. Yeah. But, <laughs> so to be able to duel, it just solidifies. Yeah, all right, no, this is the you know, you're the you're the real deal. And as mentioned before, that, you know. To win Norm Smith on top of that is just, just yeah, um, yeah. Look, Hannah's had a good first quarter, but the game's more than f- more than one, one quarter. So uh, everyone can say whatever. Yeah, got to play more than one quarter of footy, I think, to win it. And if you look at the score, if you look at the voting score too, I won it by a fair bit. So Hannah's can shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he still wouldn't be whinging about it, surely not. Nah, nah, nah. Nah, he wouldn't be. Nah, he wouldn't be at all. Just a bit of tongue and cheek there. And I guess, so from 2012, uh, 2013, I think uh, the Swans, you make the finals, I think uh, get knocked out in an elimination final. But I guess what's happening uh, on the off-season with 2013 going into 2014, um, someone that I've kind of described as the Tony Lockett of uh, this generation, at least, uh, Lance Buddy Franklin, uh, linked to the Swans and comes to the club. 2014, I guess, did you, this is sort of, I guess, a bit of a transition period for yourself trying to, I guess, get into the side. Um, you initially, you eventually retire at the end of the year, but do you sort of have much to do with uh, Buddy Franklin? Did he, do you think, uh, you know, there was lots of concerns about the, the blood culture being affected? Do you think that was uh, nixed pretty early on with his time with the Swans? Yeah, oh, look, I don't know, to be honest. Um, he's sort of, the year I was there, he's sort of a pretty quiet guy. Kept, you know, kept, kept, to, kept to himself. Yeah, look, I, I knew that move was touted to come the year before as well, but it didn't happen for, for that. Um, but, yeah, I suppose that 13 year, we were just decimated with injury. We got to the prelim against mm. Fremantle, and I think we had eight of our starting 18 out. 
and it was a big workload on a lot of us that played every game to try and get us to that point. So I thought we did really well to get to the prelim that year, the amount of injuries we had. But yeah, then the big news to get him get Buddy over. Yeah, it was just one of those things, I, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't know how do you judge the success of of, of that move mm. in a club. It's um, hasn't brought hasn't brought across the premiership, so. You're correct. It hasn't brought a premiership, but uh, I mean, they've played in, I think it was two or three grand finals with buddies. But, you know, I guess that's football at the end of the day. You know, you, you win them or you lose them. But I think, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm you know, comparing him to Tony Lockett, but I kind of feel there needs to be somewhat of a marquee player like that, especially in Sydney, where it can be, you know, if the Swans were not doing so well, the, uh, the fans could be potentially a little bit fickle at times. But um, I would rate it as a as a supporter as a as a, as a success. Um, but I guess did the inclusion of Buddy Franklin did that sort of put you on the outer within the team? Well, if you, well, if you look at it, it, it sort of did, didn't it? I had to. Mm. Yeah, I was forced to. I was really forced to retire, and then other players had to go before that to get him in. And then, in terms of if you look at the the, the Swans list now, so I'm not in a sank at the moment. You know. Has has it has it left a hole in the middle band of their list? You know they've got some good, fantastic young players. I think they're going to be really good if they can keep them all together. But there's nothing in between. Um, is that going to put the Swans in a hole for the next two or three years? Who knows? Um, mm. I wasn't I'm not the decision maker in there, and everyone's probably got their own own thought process on that part. Yeah, I, I suppose if, if the fans, oh, I just if the fans think it's success and the club thinks it's success, success, it is. You know, what my opinion it doesn't really matter. But um, I, I, I suppose it's always that balance of picking for the now, but looking to the future. Has it jeopardised mm. what the future looks looks like without winning those premier, the two premier, grand, you know, that made two grand final, fourteen and um, sixteen, yeah. without, without winning them. You know, if you look down in the history book, is it? Did, did it work for arguably, you know, or probably this, these next two or three years will determine, yeah, is the buddy effect, is it killed, is it killed the list, is it going to take a long time to get out of there? Mm. Don't know. From the Sydney now, I think, I think when Lockett and Ruzi in 95 went to Sydney, I think, yeah, they needed a marquee player. And even probably when Baza Hall turned up, you know, we're still, we're still finding our feet. Yeah, we didn't, Sydney did need a marquee player. But I think the club's established now, and as a as a club in entirety, as a, a powerhouse in Sydney, I don't think it needs marquee players anymore. I think it needs, you know, the club needs to stay strong and be successful to bring in a, a super superstar. I don't think it's, it's going to make it make a difference to the game there because I think it's it's finally got over that hump and established itself. Um, I always look across any any sport. Probably except for basketball, because one player can make a huge difference. But mm. whenever any team from any sport gets one big superstar player that jeopardises other people on the list or people who've been there on the list, generally doesn't work. I think it just it sort of does chip away at the culture and chip away at the the foundation of the club a little bit. That's why I sort of look at those things. And you said you wanted to play on. You you eventually do retire at the end of the year. Um, I guess. Was it sort of just to be a one club player? Was that a was that a goal or a I guess a, an honor honor type of thing? Or it just if you were to transition to another club, it, uh, I guess what was the thought process there? No, I wanted to play on, um, and then yeah, I, I was thinking I had to I was factoring in my family a, a bit in terms of we had, if we had to move, would have been only for another one or two years, and maybe move again. I didn't want to do that to the family. My kids were. You know, starting school and all that stuff. Selfishly, if I look back at it, I wish I did play on a little bit. A bit. You sort of, you, I don't know. You sort of sit there and watch the game, and you see some yeah. players that are running around. You go, "Oh my god, I should be still out there." <laughs> um, probably one thing I probably do regret a bit is maybe I probably should have kicked along. You know, seeing what some other players have done, gone to other clubs and sort of played that, you know, playing coaching role. Just mm. seeing off half back, you know, not picking up anyone and just floating around out there. Probably, yeah. Yeah, that's probably one thing I probably, probably did. But any any early negotiations with anyone or no? Yeah, I spoke to a few, but the thing that hurt probably hurt me a bit was the club knew what they were going to do with me the end of the year, before, like in the off, in the off season the year before. If they, if they told me then and go, look, this is what we're going to do, I, 
yeah, we're going to play young guys and this is what's happening and you're probably not going to play. Well, I would have accepted that and said, yep, yeah, okay, cool. No, all right, that, that's, that's, your, that's your decision. Um, that, that, that's fine. I understand it's business. Sports are business. And you're young guys and, you know, that's fine. But if they did in that October period, that would have given me an opportunity then to go, okay, I can look elsewhere and go get a job. But what ended up happening, not telling me until the first, you know, week before the first game, so this is what we're going to do. I was left stranded for 12, like a season. And then when you sort of, when you're talking to other clubs and they go, oh, how come you're not playing and all this sort of stuff, it, it really, really cost me, you know, cost me sort of chances with, with, with other clubs and everything like that. And, and, and by the end of that year, it really wore me down. The, the emotion, more the emotional part of, of that whole season really affected me and, and wore me down. And finally ground me down, I just thought, oh, bugger it. Yeah, a really good coaching opportunity with the Crows popped up. And I thought, oh, look, okay, I've achieved everything I need to I sort of really wanted to achieve. Is it an opportunity to get there, get settled, you know, get into the... I was always leaning towards the coaching um, anyway. This one came up and I thought, all right, I'll, I'll hang the boots up and get on to the next phase of my life. Um, but, yeah, probably looking back at now, I probably wish I did keep, keep rolling around. But was there an opportunity anyway. to do any coaching at the Swans or help out there, or there was nothing? I wanted. To, I needed to get out. Uh, you know, been at Sydney 15, 16 years. Yeah. I think you can get institutionalised. You can see everything in the one bubble. So to get out, I wanted to do that. Yeah, the idea was I'll get out. You know, it's like leaving home. Get out, explore the world, and come back to the nest. Um, that was probably the thing. Get out, go. You know, float around, and then um, you know, one day get back to Sydney. And uh, you're you're in the city of churches, uh, the midfield coach for the Crows. Uh, who was the head coach uh, at that time when you went over there? Uh, uh, Phil Walsh, yeah, the first coach. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, uh, obviously the tragedy with uh, Phil Walsh. Um, I think was that the 2015 or 16 year. But um, I guess how was how'd you find Adelaide and I guess navigating as a coach as opposed to a player? Big transition, I'd imagine. Yeah, it is a big transition. So uprooting the family and moving that and transitioning, you know, putting the kids into school and doing all that. And it was easy for me because I'd go to a footy club and instantly I'm, I'm amongst people. For my, my family, it was tough because not knowing anyone. So that, so, that, so that was really difficult. Going to a club with a totally different culture, a, a city and a state with just totally different philosophy and footy. Like going from a Sydney, as I said before, to a, you know, a real parochial town that's still stuck, you know, in the early decades. Um, <laughs> and just the mindset of the fans, and it, was just, it still baffles me sometimes thinking about the stuff and, and you know, dealing with the SNFL and all that sort of stuff. Um, so so it, was, it was quite different. And then sort of trying to navigate and coming from a club, a successful club, a very successful club, come to this club that's a big club, like there's, you know, plenty of money, plenty of resources, it's a big club, but... Hasn't really been on the success, you know. They're still they're still living off the '97, '98 grand finals and trying to, you know, trying to implement things and you know, put, you know, of what I've seen and what I've done, trying trying to implement that, but getting a bit of resistance. So, and that's probably in the end. I found that's probably what I did find there was just a lot of resistance to anything change or anything new or anything from somewhere else. So, I had enough of that after four years. And I believe you kind of said in the previous interview, sort of uh, you as a player, you wanted to get the best out of yourself or willing to do what you need to do. And I guess you sort of mentioned resistance. I, you came across players that weren't, I guess, of a similar mindset or um, you, I mean, you, not that you wanted to control them, but, you know, as an assistant coach, you can only control so much. At the end of the day, it's up for the boys to do it on the field. And was it sort of like a bit of a, a helpless, helplessness feeling, if that? Yeah, a bit. And 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 I say that, and I've, I've still been in the coaching and um, coaching caper till now, and coaching um, you know junior development and all that. The, yeah, a lot of them just don't understand like the opportunities they have and the resources they have, um, and, and the, just being gratitude for a lot of stuff and. Uh, I probably came from a, my personal, as I said, you know, um, you know, worked extremely hard and didn't take anything for granted and just gave just gave it 100% all the time. And to, to have people that have this sense of entitlement, and, you know, I found that, and that was probably the my biggest challenge as a coach, to go, well, why, why don't they see that? Why aren't they, 
why aren't they trying hard or why aren't they valuing this or, you know, they don't see this opportunity. But I, I can't judge them for that because that's they're different. They've sort of, you know, I've, I've got to, I've, can't, I haven't been in their shoes. I don't know why. Um, but that, that's probably the, yeah, the thing you feel hopeless, hopeless as a coach. And probably also as a coach, your performance is judging other people's performances. Mm. So as, as a player, you're, you're really in control of your own destiny, destiny. You know, you work hard, you put in the work, you're playing, you're doing it, you sort of control. But as a coach, you're relying on the you know, 20, 30 guys out there doing the work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if, if, if they're... You know, if they're not doing the right thing or whatever, and their performance is poor, well, that reflects on you. And that sometimes um, that, that can be a challenge. Well, uh, we've got Matthew Nix, a formless one there as the head coach now. Like, they didn't have a too great of a season this year. But, I mean, uh, looking um, at uh, this year, will this year, when we look back at it, have an asterisk next to it? Uh, it's, a, it's been a compromised season. Will we be calling it the COVID Cup uh, for the Premiership? Well... Yeah, yes, yeah, it will be, but no, because every team's in the same position. Like, um, it is what it is. That's what this competition was this year. These are the parameters, and everyone knew what it is. Let's deal with it. It's no different to a normal year. What's a normal year? Sure. Mm, if the Melbourne, if the Victorian clubs are going to complain about travelling, hey, what has the interstate club done every, every, all the time? <laughs> like, you know, Richmond and Collingwood, oh my God, they haven't played all their games plus finals at the MCG. They have to play it in Brisbane. Hey, what do you think everyone else has been doing? So these are the parameters this year. Just deal with it. And that's what I think. You can, the winners, are de- whoever wins this year is a deserved winner because these are the challenges. This is what was set up. And everyone played the same rules. Everyone played the same length quarters. Everyone had the same sort of thing. And it's who dealt with that and got on with it. Being in the uh, inter-sanctum uh, of the Sydney Swans, uh, was there a very much a, an us-them mentality in the sense of, of the Victorian clubs and I guess the AFL? Maybe, at least coming off uh, being very kind of biased to Victorian teams, was, there, was that a real thing within, I guess, being in an interstate club? Oh, no, it wasn't against Victoria. It was us. Us versus them, but everyone. Like, we, we knew what... We knew what we wanted to be. We knew what we were about. We knew how we wanted to play. We knew how we wanted to be as a, as a club. And whatever mattered was what mattered in the sanctum. We didn't care what happened outside our, our, our clubs. It wasn't a Victorian thing or a Western Australian thing. It was just us being really confident um, about us and who we're about. And we're against everyone else. And uh, Eddie Maguire not attacking the, uh, the cola or that was no issues? Oh, yeah. oh, thank you. Don't get me started on that, like, really. Seriously. But, like, the, and I don't know, I look, I'm living in Melbourne at the moment, but people, you know, talk about that. But people, people talk about stuff they don't know about. Mm. It's like, have you lived in Sydney before? The cost of living is more. Like, seriously. Like, like oh, you only got all these players because you got a bit of extra cap. Well, you know, the rent's twice as much. Well, you, and if you look at any business around in between Melbourne and Sydney, if a, if a company wants to recruit someone to Sydney, they've got to increase their wage because if you're on the same wage living in Melbourne and Sydney, the, the lifestyle is better in Melbourne because you've got more money. It's simple, it's simple economics. Yeah. Go down a rabbit hole there. <laughs> <laughs> Preach it to the choir. No, but let's talk about what you're doing now. Yeah? You're the general manager at the Kalara Foundation. Can you give us an inside? What is the Kalara, Kalara Foundation? Yeah, um, Clarifano, we, it started with um, uh, Cole Vandercott, ex, ex-Olympian hurdler, champion athlete of Australia. Him with a couple of guys had this concept of there's a real gap um, here in, in our country with, with support and employment and housing for um, uh, Aboriginal, um, Aboriginal people in our, in our country. So they've started Clara Foundation, which is a which is a, a support and employment um, program. So we ha- we help we help also find jobs. We help we've got um, connection with industry, government bodies to to help find jobs. But then p- provide the support, the housing, um, the education, the mentoring, all that sort of stuff. So that that's what Clara Foundation's about. Um, I had conversations with them late last year to come in and help with their mentoring and and leadership coaching program, but. I just, you know, I enjoyed it, got on board and started doing more and they asked me to be the, be the general manager, which is, which is good. So, 
yeah, we're based in Victoria, down in New South Wales, Queensland. So um, we're rolling this program out, out nationally, which is which is very exciting. I have a radio background and uh, COVID-19 really affected uh, the radio industry. A lot of people were made redundant, had lost their jobs. And the big thing was sort of, if you're a radio person, sort of having transferable skills to other, uh, I guess, industries. Obviously, AFL and sport, uh, you know, you can you can kind of, the mentality could be that you're getting pigeonholed into you're only a sports person, but you, obviously they've brought you in as a sort of a, a development sort of, I guess, somewhat of a coaching type of uh, role. Do you see there's uh, skills that you learned in football within a football club that are transferable to other industries? Oh, definitely. And, uh, and that's probably why, you know, elite sports people or people being at the top of the game long time are very employable because there's those traits of, you know, work ethic, discipline, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I've got involved, but I've also, the network you make, um, that's probably why, in my role as general manager, very you know, disciplined, organised, structured to help with all our all our operations stuff and everything like that. Um, you know, some of the, some of the some of the, the technical skills you can learn, and I think if you if you're that sort of person, you, you'll find a way to learn anyway, and then just practice like training. You just got to practice and learn things. But to be organised, scheduled, um, the network you have is quite large if you've been in professional sport for, for a long time. You do, you have the privilege of, of mixing with with a lot of very successful people in the business and charity, corporate, corporate world. You go to any functions and that, you, you're always talking to them and people want to talk to you. So, and, you know, you do have that advantage of getting your foot in the door a lot of the time. So, um, that, that, that's been a big plus for me to, and for me to use it to help other people. This, this foundation's about, you know, trying to help help other people. We're non for profit. We just what we get in, we put into our programs to to make sure it's bettering people. And the huge thing here in Australia about about closing closing the gap. Now uh, there's a massive discrepancy between our first our first Australians and and ever, everyone else. And if people want to find out more about uh, the Kilara Foundation and uh, I guess if they want to donate or just find out more information, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, if you get on our website, Clara Foundation, um, yeah, yeah, have a look around. We, we have a support page. We've launched a coffee label that um, all proceeds go to the foundation to help run our program. So um, it's really good coffee for everyone, those, those coffee drinkers out there, so you can get on the shop. Um, we're looking at collaborating with a, a few other things to, you know, young artists and young designers and stuff to get some things through our, our, our shop site. But... Um, any organisations looking for, for you know, um, employ you know, Aboriginal workers or donations and all that, yeah, jump on our website. And before we do wrap up, um, you were inducted into the uh, Sydney Swans Hall of Fame back in 2018. Uh, uh, Got to be happy with that honour. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. As I said, like, you, know, you look back and... And something to be really proud of. Um, I know my kids. I, I was like, you know, my kids are old enough; they can sort of they can remember me playing, um, and they know, and they they get a buzz out of it too. And just to be able to share share that honour with your family, I think that that's really really good. But I suppose when you look back at your career now, after it's yeah, a few years down the track, to be proud of something that you, you put a lot of effort, and it's a lot of effort. And I think if you're going to be a professional athlete, it's quite a selfish thing. It puts a lot of strain on. Uh, on, on your family around you because you've got to be very focused. You've got to be all in. Um, but to put all that effort in and, and get reward for it, I think that's something that you can go, yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy with that stage of my life. And someone who's wearing your old number five now, Isaac Heaney, uh, when he was uh, drafted and uh, given the number five, he was very happy to wear the number five as he, you were one of the players that he looked up to. Uh, how have you seen uh, Isaac Heaney? Obviously this year injury plagued, uh, but uh, one of the future Swan leaders, do you believe? Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very good. I knew Isaac through the academy and that, and he actually asked if he could have my number. So the, the respect and politeness of the kid, I just knew he was going to be a great kid, and I was very honoured for him to for, for, to wear that number. Um, as I said, I think the Swans have got some great young. The young players are really, really good. If they can, I think if they can keep them together, and those players want to stay together. Um, as I said, they're going to be. 
it's mod as I said, it's modern business now. Other clubs are going to circle around and throw big cash and that to try and get them away. But I reckon if that core group of players can say, let's stick together, and you know, it might have to take a little bit of a you know less a less contract to keep together. But if they can, if you get a good core group of players that play 100, 150 games together, that's a very very good base for a premiership team. Absolutely, and let's hope that uh, is the case. And I guess, uh, who do you think will win the 2020 Grand Final and who do you want to win? Oh, I hope for a Brisbane-Port Grand Final. Um, so, and I wouldn't mind seeing the Lions. Obviously, I used to be an old Lions. So we've got a little bit of connection out of the dad playing for Fitzroy. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Brisbane, uh, Brisbane win it. And uh, if they were to get there, obviously home ground advantage. So it'd be uh, interesting to see in the first ever night AFL grand final. What's your opinion on that? Should it uh, stay as a, an afternoon thing, or if it goes well this year, could we see the AFL transition to uh, night grand finals or evening grand finals uh, from here on in? Uh, I prefer the day. I prefer the day. It's a bit. It's a big day. It's a big build up. Like it's a night game. The players are sitting around using so much energy. Waiting for it, um, and and I think with the day when you actually go to the ground at the you know the, not this year but generally the MCG is a lot going on, and then the after stuff. Night game finished way too late. Like mm. after, like you know, you sort of wrapped up get after night game. You're back at the hotel, you know, eleven thirty midnight. And if it's after a grand final and you want to celebrate or you know even commiserate or whatever, like it's midnight before. It's just. Stick to the day. I think it, I think it just works works really, really, really well. Yeah, I'm big on tradition. I like uh, it at the at the G and uh, at two o'clock on a Saturday. Arvo. It works well for yeah, barbecues. Have, and, and for all the supporters that can't get there to have barbecues around the day with the kids and stuff like that. With night games, it's too late for the kids and you're not going to barbecue. So stick to the day. I think it suits everyone better. Like, if they're worried about TV, I think it's like, it's like the Melbourne Cup. It's one day everyone stops and puts it on and they'll, they'll watch it anyway. Ryan O'Keefe, he's a Sydney Swans legend and Hall of Famer. Really appreciate you taking the time, Ryan, to uh, speak with us. And uh, those details, again, if they want to find out more about the Kalara Foundation, just uh, on the website, is it kalarafoundation.org? Yep, yep. Jump on. Thank you very much for anyone's support. Ryan O'Keefe, greatly appreciate it. And uh, all the best uh, during these uh, quote-unquote unprecedented times, especially in Victoria. I know you guys are kind of uh, hopefully on the tail end of lockdown, but uh, all the best and thank you for taking the time. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. First of all, I'd like to thank uh, Hawthorne. It was a terrific game. Blake's an outstanding team and we knew we had a battle on the hands as soon as we turned up today and uh, I know you guys will be back next year. Uh, to all the supporters from both teams, it was great atmosphere. To the Swanee supporters. A tremendous bunch. You support us all the time. Thanks to the old South Melbourne supporters and all the ones from Sydney. And then everyone over here, all my brothers, all the support staff, everyone has put the hard work into this week. It's my boys, run amok. And that wraps up the debut edition of Bloods of Old. And however you are listening to this, whether it be on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, please subscribe. And if you don't mind uh, on iTunes, giving us a review, any feedback would be greatly appreciated. Follow us on Twitter at Bloods of Old. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and up the mighty swans.